Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. And we're going to be, uh, this is our third week in our series on Proverbs people. Uh, if, if you go back, I think the first one we missed a recording of, um, but that one, if you remember, we focused specifically on the importance of how uh, godly wisdom is central on the Lord himself. If we don't have godly wisdom and focused on the centrality of Christ, and actually that's a fatally flawed wisdom. So it's, it's the, the point out of that, those verses in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 is that we would have a, a, such a desire to know the Lord and, and Him intimately that that would drive us to godly knowledge and wisdom. And then last week we, we took Proverbs 1, uh, 8 and following that talked about the family, that as Solomon was writing the Proverbs, he began by looking at how the family dynamics work, that the father would be uh, instructing the children, and the mothers would be teaching, and that the children's would be what, students? Do you all remember? Come on now. Quiz time. Teacher Steve said that you all were going to get Fs if you didn't pass the quiz. Am I going to pull this thing? What's that, Leanne? I can't hear you over the air conditioning. Yeah, listening or hearing, that was the first one, right? So that we're, when we're at home, we would hear. And then when we're away, what was it that we would not? Sherilyn, you got it. You want to not forsake specifically. That we would not get away when we're away from home. We wouldn't put aside and forsake the wisdom that our parents imparted to us. So as I was thinking about those dynamics, one of the things that uh, as I, in surveying the book of Proverbs for the topics that, that I've kind of drawn out in my outline stuff, I start thinking about how does that work? What is the medium by which instruction and teaching take place, and especially that hearing? And what it, it spoke to me as I was reviewing all those things is simply the importance of the tongue or the mouth and our speech. And so this morning, that's really, the, if I was to title this message, it would be the importance of godly speech. So we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 10, looking at verses 11. But here's what I want to do before we get there. I want to survey uh, real quickly the first few chapters, and I say few, it's about half of Proverbs, um, and I want you to hear some of the verses that identify the importance of speech, just to set this up a little bit for our teaching time today. So here's uh, what we learn in some of these Proverbs, and I'm just, I'll try to repeat the um, passage or reference a couple times so you can take notes and, and jot this down and go back and look at it later. Okay, so Proverbs 10, 20, and 21, Proverbs 10 20 and 21 says this, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Isn't that a great picture? The lips of the righteous feed many. What a, what a great picture. Uh, Proverbs 10, 31 through 32. Again, Proverbs 10, 31 through 32 says this, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. And that, that's kind of interesting to me, that the lips would know what's acceptable. But because they're focused on righteousness, they would know what's acceptable to speak. Isn't that amazing? Proverbs 12, 6. Again, Proverbs 12, 6. says, the mouth of the upright delivers men. So you think about when we speak truth, and when we are upright at the core of our being, when we speak, we are delivering men from trouble. 
Because when we speak the truth, it brings positive consequences, the right consequences. Proverbs 12, 14. Again, Proverbs 12, 14 says this. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. Isn't that interesting too? You think about how you speak will actually impact how you find satisfaction. It's not just that what you speak impacts others. It's the fact that when you speak truth and righteousness, that it will satisfy you because you will be at peace between yourself and the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 12, 18 and 19. Again, that's Proverbs 12, 18 and 19. We read, the tongue of the wise brings healing. I I'm going to pause for just a second, and I'm going to be a little transparent. This is off the cuff, so forgive me indulge me. Uh, hopefully this will help some guys. I remember a season in my parenting where my tongue was not bringing healing to my children or my wife. My tongue was actually sharp and it was um, controlling and I was actually bringing hurt and wounding in, into our family's life. And when the Lord started to work on me on that, I, I really, and Katie was a part of that. She had, has the uh, permission, ability, uh, and strength. Uh, I was trying to look at all the, the qualities, but to speak to me and, and to, to uh, confront me on some things, and she did. And as the Lord began to work through her in that, he began to change my heart about how I spoke to bring healing, especially to, to my family members. And that was an important lesson. And dads, I don't know where you are, but, but it makes me think as a guy to guy, how are you doing speaking healing to your children? So I, don't th I think that's kind of a lost art that, that we have as men in our world today. And so I want to encourage you with that, both hopefully from the truth of Scripture and my own story. Uh, so it further goes on further. Truthful lips endure forever. And, and I would just add to this, as you speak words of healing, the life that that brings to your family, child, the people, whoever you're speaking to, that is what the Lord will use. And that's why it endures forever. Here's another one. Proverbs 14.3. We are told, uh, Proverbs 14.3. We are told, the lips of the wise will preserve them. Here's one of those well-known Proverbs in 15.1. It says, Proverbs 15.1, I always refer to this in marital, premarital counseling or marriage counseling because it's so essential. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That is such a, I think, one of those famous Proverbs that we need to remember when we, we are dealing with conflict especially. Proverbs 2015. Again, Proverbs 2015, we read, there is gold and abundance of costly stones. Isn't that true? We can look at the world and see that there's all these things around. But the lips of, of knowledge are a precious jewel. I love that, that Solomon compares the gems and the valuable uh, things of this, the, the earth, that the earth produces, but he says our lips are a precious jewel. So you get the idea through those verses, and that was through chapter 20. There's at least another 11 chapters that I just said, that's enough, that's going to take me long enough to get through for introduction stuff, that I was like, we, we just need to stop there. You can imagine that through the next 11 chapters of Proverbs, there's more information about the importance of the tongue and how we speak to one another. So let's look at Proverbs 10. This is going to be our text for the morning, and I, I think I, I really like this passage, and we're going to 
break a couple things down, do a little bit of relationship to the New Testament as well. So Proverbs 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Now, this is, I hope this is a text that we can really enjoy this morning as we build on some truths. And I also hope this, that it confronts each one of us with how we're using our speech. So let's, let's look at a couple things about this. Um, the first is this. We're going to look at four ideas that are very clear from this proverb, okay? So if you're taking notes, uh, I would encourage you to take these four things down. And then we're going to look at three things that aren't so clear. And I'm going to break, uh, like feed into those three things and answer some of the questions. So the first thing is this. Um, as we think about the clear ideas of Proverbs 10, 11, if we know that the, the tongue or the mouth produces life, we also know this, who, that, that God is the giver of life, right? That, that's just a clear truth. God is the giver of life, and he wants us, in our reflection of him, to be givers of life as well. Second truth, I think this is clear from this as well. And let's just look back, look back at the text. It says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain. And we could replace that real quickly. The idea of a fountain is something that, that bubbles forth. It's fresh. It, it gives life. So whether we recognize, recognize it or not, our mouths give life. How we speak presents life to others. And, and it also helps preserve ourselves, as we've seen from these other texts. The third clear truth is this. A life-giving uh, mouth is a fountain, we read that in the text, not a factory. There's a big difference between a fountain and a factory, and we're going to explore that a little bit later. So if you just don't get it, don't worry, okay? But a, a life-giving mouth is a fountain, not a factory. And then fourth, we see this in the text too. Uh, let's go back and read the very first part of this. The mouth of the righteous, okay? So the righteous is, the righteousness is what actually creates that fountain of life. So that's clear. And, and we need to remember this. In and of ourselves, we are not righteous. So that, that requires something, and we're going to look at that a little bit later too. So what's not so obvious from the text? The first is this. What creates or provides that righteousness? So if you're taking notes, you might write that down and give yourself a little space to take some notes underneath. Number two, why does this righteousness make fountains of our, our tongue or our mouths? Okay. And then number three, how does life for others come from this fountain-like mouth? When we think about the impact that, that as we speak and that fountain of righteousness uh, occurs through us and in us, how does it impact others? So let's, let's look at the first one. What creates and provides this righteousness? And you might just uh, qualify this. It is the source of, of what we get when we speak, okay? Now, if you have been around here any length of time, you've heard me refer to Mark 7. That's one of my favorite passages, and we're, uh, we're not going to address that one today. We're going to address a little bit of a parallel one out of Matthew 15. So if you have your Bibles, you might put a ribbon in Proverbs 10. Um, we'll be back and forth just a little bit. But in Matthew 15, there's this similar passage. And in both of these passages, if you remember the, the passage in Mark, um, Mark 7, what's happening is Jesus and his disciples are out in the, the wheat field on Sunday, and they're popping the head off of wheat, and they're, they're um, eating. And the Pharisees come to him, and they ask him, why, have you, uh, why are you and your disciples eating? You haven't washed your hands. 
And Jesus goes through this explanation. It's not what goes into the mouth of a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of the heart of a man. So here in Matthew 15, we have almost a a similar statement uh, by Jesus. It's a different context. So what's happening in Matthew 15 is they're they're actually at this festival of booths. And the, the Pharisees, again, confront Jesus about what he's doing. So let's read verses 17 through 19. He says, Uh, Jesus is responding to the the Pharisees and their challenge, okay? And he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So, so here's what Jesus is explaining. When we speak, what are we revealing? We're revealing our hearts, right? Because what resides in our heart is what comes out in our mouth. It, it's almost, that, that's like, I think, why part of what Jesus uh, or Solomon is describing and what Jesus actually refers to in some other passages, we're going to look at those in a couple minutes, is that the, the source, the heart of man is what produces the outward fountain. Does that make sense? And so when we talk about being a fountain of righteousness or that righteousness produces the fountain that gives life, if the source is defiled or corrupt, how, how can we ever speak something that gives life? And you might say, well, people that don't know Jesus can do that. Yeah, yeah, they can. They can. But but you know why that is the case? Because of God's grace. Because he's gracious to everyone still. But, But the problem is, it's only by God's grace that he's preserving and protecting. When we come to faith in Christ, our hearts are transformed. And then what happens is the righteousness of Christ transforms everything about our speech. And we, it ought to be totally different, every aspect. Not just the boundaries to keep us in a safe place, but it's out of the flow of everything that he is in us and the transformation of our hearts that his righteousness appeals to those around us. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Um, so ultimately, what we need is a heart transformation. And that's what Christ is getting in, in these passages. We, we have to have him working in us, okay? So now let's, let's look at this because the, I think this is a, a key part that our, our mouths are to be fountains, not factories. What is the difference between a fountain and a factory? You may not know. I just want you to think about it for a second. Well, when we think, Sherilyn, do you want to answer? Yeah, yeah, and it's not really about life, it's, it's really about the product, right, okay, and so it's not also really not about relationship in, in that sense, okay, um, let me give you a couple things uh, about this, um, I think a factory is much more about the things that you do, does that make sense, it's how you, maybe think about the assembly line, how you do these things to produce that product. Whereas a fountain, again, we, we got to think about this, a fountain is about who you trust. Does that make sense? So let me give you a quick illustration. This just kind of pops in my head. If I'm, I, well, I, I remember um, there's this, this fresh spring near my dad's office in Chattanooga. 
and you could drive this road, you'd al- almost always see somebody out there with, you know, milk jugs or some kind of jugs getting that fresh spring water, okay? And, and you, you, may have ever, you may have had that chance to do that at some point in your life. But if you knew that the source of that spring had had some kind of contamination seep into it, what, what would you do? Would you stand there and, and collect it? You'd avoid it at all cost, wouldn't you? And, and so that's what the point of, of the distinction between the fountain and the factory is. The fountain is about what is at the core, what is at the source. And if we don't have the righteousness of Christ at the source, we can't be a fountain of life. We can't give life to others through our speech. So that's why Christ's righteousness is essential for us as we talk to others. So it's interesting. If you think about um, how, how the Lord communicates this in the Scripture, obviously we're seeing this first metaphor about the, the source and the fountain. Okay? The second one is actually this, and, and you'll, you'll probably pick this up quickly if you've been around church for a while. It's this idea of the tree or the vine. That the Lord, in, in, um, is it, it's John 15, um, says that He is the vine that source, and we are the branches, right? Some of y'all are mouthing that. And, and the point is that the source, what the tree or the vine collects, that's the key. And what it produces in us, the branches, is, is where uh, we trust that source, okay? So, these emphasize, again, that the righteousness of Christ is what is required. So, let me read this statement. Biblical righteousness is not primarily a set of things that you do, but rather it is whom you trust, whom you live with, and whom you fear so as not to forsake, and whom you learn from to be wise. Do do you see how all of this in Proverbs begins to relate? The, The wisdom that comes from God and a knowledge of Him, the relationships that are essential as we as a family relate, as as dads or fathers give instructions, as mothers teach, and and all of that is about godly wisdom and the centrality of the Lord. And as we as children listen to our parents and we don't leave and, and forsake their teaching, but we cling to those things because what we're actually doing is abiding in the source of who Christ is who we can trust in the lordship of Christ and how the, 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 our Heavenly Father is communicated to these things. So as we abide in the Christ, or, or abide in the vine and abide in Christ, righteousness is being in Him and living by faith in His power and His grace and His wisdom. Now, now I can venture this guess. All you all going, yeah, that's good, Matt. That's good. Okay, we kind of know that stuff. But the problem is, Do we live it out? Because there's a relationship component that is essential. And I think this is where I want us to to look at this because I think this is key. Turn over your Bibles to John chapter 4. Now, if you you remember, I I love the gospel of John because what we get to, to watch Jesus do is relate to people. It starts off in chapter 3. He relates to Nicodemus, uh, who's a leader of the, the Jews, and, and they have this great conversation. And, and then he moves from a, a Jewish, an important Jewish figure to this Samaritan woman who is not 
fully Jew who would be cast off, and he has this great conversation. So we get, like, religion is dealt with, and then uh, not that she's not religious, but a, a, a compromised religion is dealt with, and Jesus gives answers to, to both these people that are very powerful. And what's so key, let's listen to this discussion that he's having with her in verse 14. Thir- we'll start in 13. So she's asked about, you know, remember, this Samaritan woman, they've met at this well, and Jesus asked her for water because he's thirsty. And that relationship, he should not have engaged with her. That was against the cultural standards. But that enabled them to have this open dialogue. And so in this dialogue, Jesus gives her this answer in verse 13. He says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the well water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become, now listen to this, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you hear how that so ties into what we're talking about out of Proverbs 10? You get the idea that Jesus is the source. And out of the source will spring up this uh, wellspring of living water that works in other people's uh, lives to do what? Give them life. See, we're not exclusive of one another. We're not independent of one another. The, the fact is, and what Proverbs is, is communicating, and what Jesus is communicating, our relationship to one another that is centralized on Christ impacts everyone around us. And it, we become that conduit because we are the fountain. We are that conduit of life, eternal life for others as believers, okay? So when, when that lost person comes to you as believers in Christ, we are presenting that fountain of life to them. And how does Proverbs say that we do that? Through our speech. So it's, it's an incredible picture. Um, now, Bible study habit. You guys know I like to do this on some occasions. So I was reading this, and I thought, you know what? I, I just need to glance at my cross-references. So if you have a Bible that has cross-references in it, look at um, verse 14. I'm, I'm going to try to find this again. In verse 14... Um, if you have the correct Bible, I'm teasing there, um, the cross-reference that in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life has the letter M right in front of it, okay? And so if you go over to that cross-reference and find the little M, mine says CH.738, okay? What that means is you're staying in the same book, so John chapter 7, verse 38. So it's a great little Bible help to go, hey, I'm studying this. I want to see what else is said. So let's turn over to John chapter 7, verse 38, and see why that cross-reference is there and see what else uh, it might have to teach us about this idea of being in him and having that wellspring uh, that, that leads to eternal life. Okay, so John 7, 38. We'll pick up with a little context in 737. Okay, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And let's read 39 too. Now, that, now this he said about the spirit whom, he has believed, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's what we see, and, and this is such an incredible picture because we get this idea of the Trinity in all of this. 
Now, we don't see the Father here, but we know about the Father in other places. And we also get the work that Jesus does and then the, the promised work of the Holy Spirit who is going to bear fruit in our lives. So what, what, do we, what do we learn from all of this, first of all? I think this is that, that Jesus is the wellspring of eternal life. And there are people that are thirsty, longing for him, longing for their souls to be changed, longing to find hope and healing and, and promise. And if they don't know Jesus, they will never find that. But Jesus promises that he is that wellspring. And if we come to him, we will find satisfaction for our souls. What incredible news. And then there's this peace. The Spirit, the Spirit is promised to come and bear fruit and witness in our lives of those very things. So if you're a follower of Christ, today you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and His number one priority and purpose in your life is to constantly be filling you with the righteousness of Christ so that you will be a fountain of life to others, that your speech might reflect the goodness of Christ whom you are being transformed and changed into his likeness. And the Spirit is constantly working in you to draw you to that end and that goal. So that, and and again, I think maybe this is why I went to, to my own story for just a minute about parenting, is that when we as dads or when we as moms speak, maybe as we as grandparents speak, we are speaking the very words that Christ would want us to speak to be fountains of life in the people around us, especially our children, our grandchildren, that we might perpetuate godly wisdom so that their lives are enriched and they're pointed and their hearts are stirred towards the power of Christ and His grace and His mercy, that they too might be transformed and we create this cycle of godly wisdom in, in our families so that generation upon generation, should the Lord tarry, would be changed into the likeness of Christ. What a great picture. And, and, and so you can see maybe the, the thread of my thought and why I felt like this was such a great uh, focus for us. I uh, want to direct you to one more passage. Matthew 12, verse 34. So you'll have to go back just a little bit. Here... Um, Jesus, again, you know, if you watch him, you find he's often confronted by the Pharisees. And one of the things I love about Jesus in these confrontations, he's never really rude or disrespectful to them. He's just very matter-of-fact. And, and this is one of those great places where he speaks the truth to them, and he, I think he leaves them somewhat stunned with this, this uh, response. So let's pick up in verse uh, 30. Well, let me make sure I'm in the right place. Yeah, verse 33, okay? Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Think back to what we've covered earlier about the metaphor of the the vine and the branches, that the source, if it's good, it will produce good fruit. If it's bad, it produces bad fruit. And then he looks at the Pharisees and he says this, you brood of vipers, how would you like to be called that? Not not an appealing uh, comment, right, Or, or... uh, um, conclusion about character. But, but he's called them what they are and how they're responding to the truth. And he goes on, and listen to this. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good? So, so here's what we're talking about. The mouth, how can this brood of vipers speak good when you were evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Hmm. And he goes on, the good person 
out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Wow. What a conclusion, right? And it's just black and white. It's the truth. And not, I mean, Jesus said it. That makes it truth. But, but it, it, it's borne out again and again in Scripture. So what, do, what does that mean? I think what we see is this echo of the Proverbs when Jesus says this, that if we don't have hearts that are transformed, how can we speak good and righteous things to one another? We, we have to have those transformed hearts. So I, I want to make a, a quick appeal. There may be someone today, normally we have a, a you know, our, our just largely our church family, but I see some guests with us today, and we're very excited that you're here. And I want to tell you this. I would be remiss. I would walk away today grieved in my own heart if I didn't say this to everyone today. You may be hearing this and going, you know what, Matt? I, I'm, I'm hearing you. My, my heart has never been changed by a relationship with Christ. I've heard some of these things before, but I know that I can't bear good fruit because he's not the source of my heart transformation. I can't find his righteousness because I don't have a, a personal relationship with him. Can I tell you, it's the easiest thing to do. It really is. What you do is this. You understand that Jesus came, he died for our sins, and he rose again on the third day, according to what the scripture said. He was obedient. And then what we do is we trust his work for our salvation and our merit, not our own. Because we're unrighteous, and our sin can't earn or provide a way for us to be right with our Heavenly Father. So Christ made that way. It's like he built the bridge between us as sinners and God as righteous. And so you say, well, what do I do with that? You simply do this. You trust his work. And, and what the Bible says is this. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. We, we don't do this in our church. We don't necessarily invite you down to make a, a, a quick decision here on a Sunday morning. What we want to do is we want to take the time to counsel you a little bit about that. So if, if you're going, Matt, that's what I need, and you, you feel this heart tug or this, this sense. I, I remember when, when it happened to me, I just couldn't have peace in my life, and, and I was wrestling with God about some things, but I know when I finally relented or surrendered, to, to his, his pressure, and it's not a bad pressure, it's his calling, it's his drawing, it's his wooing, okay? But it was something I just couldn't get away from. I just got out of my bed one night. I'd been walking in church life for a while, okay? And, and I prayed a, a simple prayer, okay? It wasn't magical. I didn't hear uh, angels singing and didn't get warm fuzzies, but I'll say this. There was something different about my life after that moment. For sure, there was peace between me and my Heavenly Father. And that began to change how I walked because the source had transformed my heart. And even in some relationships, it began to heal those relationships. I say it, my salvation, what Christ was doing in me because the Spirit was at work. Okay, for now, so if, if that's you, I want to invite you to do this. You saw Steve up here with the hat. Um, he, he's one of our elders. Michael raise your hand um, really high. If you turn back kind of to your right, uh, most of you, some of your left, Michael's one of our elders. I, I would invite you to talk to my wife, Katie. She's in the booth. Cheryl Lynn. Uh, Rob's not in here today. He's do doing security. Um, Jesse, raise, stand up in the booth, Jesse. Jesse is a grow group leader. 
uh, wife. Um, you got Jeff and Debbie Randolph here that are grow group leaders. Um, Michael and Maya. Maya. Maya's back with the children. There's lots of people is what I'm getting at. There's lots of people who you can find. And just take a little bit of time to counsel with us, okay? And we want to make sure that you're confident in the, your salvation and what the Lord's doing, okay, in your life. Now, that's to, the Lord just impressed me to do that, okay? For us that are believers, that we've been following Christ for some time, our heart's been transformed. Here's the, the struggle. We know this. We don't always get it right, right? So, so what do we need to do? Well, this passage in Matthew, this last one that I read, um, and actually it was the passage in John 7 and 738 that so jumped out to me about this, the work of the Spirit, the promised work of the Holy Spirit, okay, that, that is, we have been blessed with that presence. And, and Ephesians 1 talks about us being sealed until the day of, the, of redemption because of the work of the Spirit. What a promise, okay? Here's, here's what he is trying to do. He leaves us or gives us responsibility for us to respond to him by trusting in his work, okay? So, so I want to read a couple things here, okay? Um, make sure I find the right place, yeah. Okay, he wants to enlarge the exercise of our righteous speech by increasing our spiritual store. I, I like that wording. I worked hard on that, okay? You think about the, the, the uh, storehouse that you have. The Holy Spirit is trying to work in us to enlarge that storehouse so that our righteousness would be more and more and more according to Christ and, and our sinful struggles and self would be displaced by His righteousness. So that storehouse increases. Well, how does that work? Well, I think it happens in a couple ways. First, it happens as we walk in fellowship with the Lord. If, if we're not careful, our tendency is to get caught up in a lot of other things, and our relationship and time with the Lord will take a back seat. So the first thing that we've got to do is listen to the Holy Spirit to make sure we're spending time in fellowship with the Lord. That happens in two specific ways, I think. The first is that we are people of the Word, because that's how primarily the Lord speaks to us. It's called specific revelation. He has given us the Bible, the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, that we might know him intimately. So if we're not spending time in the Word, we can't grow in fellowship. The second part of that is that we're spending time in prayer. And let me say this. Too often we think prayer is let me talk to God. So much of prayer is listening to the scripture and taking back our issues to the scripture and relating, like it's the conduit, okay, of us speaking and listening to God. So, so scripture is ultimate priority. The other part of his ongoing work, the Holy Spirit's ongoing work, is to help us fellowship with one another in church life. If we neglect our fellowship, and I'm going to put it in our terms, okay, for just a second, if we don't gather together, if we don't grow together, and we don't go together, we're not going to see the Holy Spirit, or we're not going to experience the best of what the Holy Spirit has to offer us in fellowship and church life, okay? So, so that's a huge piece of responding to the Spirit's work as we're being transformed in the likeness of Christ. So here's what I want to do, or, and all of us to do. I want to take just a minute to pray, okay? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads, and I want to issue a couple things in response to the message this morning, Okay? 
So the first one is this. As you bow your heads, close your eyes. All that does is help you be alone with the Lord, by the way. There's nothing magic about it. It's just you being kind of insulated and isolated with Him, okay? So as I, I share this, I want you to think through this, okay? Does your speech or your mouth usually feed people with truth and substance from what you say? Or, this is going to be pointed, or does it starve or worse, corrupt people through silence or empty and vain speech? Does your mouth usually heal people with words of grace and love and kindness? Or does it wound people with insensitive, harsh, critical, unhelpful words? And does your mouth usually deliver and protect people with advocacy and partnership? Or does it attack? Those are specific. And as you listen to that with prayerful, intentional hearts to be listening to the Lord as well. If he's convicted you about something in that, would you just recognize that? Be so courageous and bold with him to say, Lord, that was me or that is me. And repent. And what repenting means, just turning away from that sin and surrendering to the leadership of the Spirit as he's working in you to bring about Christ's righteousness. So I want to just take a minute. Steve's going to begin to play just quietly on the guitar. And I want to take you to take a minute just to inventory your heart. Heavenly Father, as each of us is engaged with you this morning about our speech, the struggles that we have because we're sinners, Lord, the hope that we have because Christ transforms and the Spirit after the transformation works in us, Lord, we are grateful. But, but at the same time, just because we've experienced salvation doesn't mean that we still don't struggle. Lord, every one of us has a tendency to have our old nature war, the flesh war with our spirit. And so, Lord, if we've been convicted or confronted by anything that has been shared this morning, I pray that we would have the courage to repent, that we would call sin, sin, and that we would return to you and surrender to the good principles that you have taught us in your word. Lord, especially, I think about the responsibility that we have in family dynamics, whether that be the family itself or our church family. Lord, you've called us to speak with our mouths so that there is a fountain of life. Lord, would, would you help us to guard our speech? Would you help our minds to think on the words of Scripture that, that what 
flows out of our mouths might be directed because our minds have been renewed and transformed because we've been in the Word. Lord, may we speak such valuable words of life to one another that our church life is transformed. And we are a city on a hill whose light cannot be hidden and people recognize that the gospel truth of Jesus Christ and our, our faithfulness to you and your love and kindness and grace and mercy, and I could go on and on with your character and qualities uh, of, of love and, and goodness towards us, they are what shine forth. And people see this and they know this so that they are drawn to our gracious Savior. Father, it, it really does, in one sense, begin with our speech, but it reflects our hearts. We need heart change. So, Lord, this morning, what, what we do is, is we humbly surrender to you. That, that's my pastoral prayer and plea for every one of us, that we would not think that we've arrived, but instead we would be sensitive to you in all things. So, Father, we pray that you, you would empower us through the person of the Holy Spirit to live faithfully, to trust you, not to be factories, but to trust you as the source of all good things. We bless you and pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.